Famous, the variety show podcast that brings you laughs, love, and that feeling of nostalgia that our entire generation has surrounding like such stupid shit like cereal or or cartoons on a Saturday morning or, or waking up to a snow day, but somehow it's just never the same because it's years later and on some level you know you're you're just trying to get back to the days when you had almost no responsibilities and and that's not the point. I'm doing it again, aren't I, Marcus? <laughs> Am I doing it again? Yeah, just a Damn it. Bit. Okay. Uh, welcome. <laughs> We're happy to have you. Um, before we get started, I just want to thank you all for making this show possible by lending your time and your ears and remind you that this show is for you. It's a long show, but it's not necessarily made to be listened to all at once, so feel free to jump around so you can listen to the segments you love and skip the ones that you don't. Now, without further ado, let's jump into our crisis of the week here on episode eight of Not So Famous. They grow up so fast. Um, <laughs> Marcus, I, I don't know if this is considered really a crisis, um, but I think it. I think hmm. it is in our community, especially the artistic community. I want to take about mm-hmm. uh, talk about um, taking time for yourself, being kind to yourself. And and really being able to recognize like, hey, I, I've been working really hard. I deserve this. I deserve a break. Mm-hmm. And do you know what I'm do you know what I'm talking about? Oh, absolutely. Like, I, I think especially artistic people, because there's not a lot of of um you know, set out ways to be able to talk about our artistic accomplishments uh, necessarily that we we put a lot of pressure on ourselves to hit certain, you know, milestones or goals or things like that, um, which are very common, except for when it comes to being an artist, like it's not necessarily something that you can brag about like, oh, well, you know, like I got up and I, I made sure to draw for two hours. Well, clap, clap, clap. Good for you. You, your you know inner voice is saying, but that's actually a, a very impressive feat, um, and we need to be able to kind of quantify that in the same way that we might quantify like I went to work for six hours, um, right? I think it happens across the board in in all different types of um, artistic craft, you know, and across mm-hmm. all different artistic mediums. And mm-hmm. it, it happens in many different ways, like from, you know, uh, like I, I do it to myself all the time. I judge myself. I'm like, okay, I have to wake up and I need 17 hours to do everything that I need to do. And I need to wake up right. and go to the gym and then come back and shower as quickly as possible so I don't lose time and then spend two hours writing and then two hours sending emails and then I need to do six hours of this. And it just builds up <laughs> into... The thing where, like, you know, my weekend now mm-hmm, is mm-hmm. becoming a time for me to basically just double down and, and want to die. Um, <laughs> right, right. And that's not fair to me. And I, I am trying to be better about recognizing it for myself and saying mm-hmm. this is a reasonable goal and this is a unreasonable goal. Like, I'm just I'm bending right. over backwards. Um, Mm -hmm. and so, you know, we on not so famous always try to be open about our mental health though. I I was talking to my therapist and, you know, telling her this concern of mine. And she was basically like, what if, what would happen if you forgave yourself? Like what would happen if you gave yourself the leeway? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, you know, she brought up the thing that I think everybody brings up, which is like, would you be that hard on your partner or your friend? Mm. 
No, like I'd be so happy. Uh, you know, like my friend Seth, he posts on Instagram and Facebook all the time of like, I took two hours to draw and I felt so proud of myself and, you know, this and that. And I, I yeah. always try to encourage him and just say, hey, mm -hmm. you're doing great. And I realize it's through stuff like that that I'm like, I don't give myself that same allowance. So in the brand of like challenging ourselves, continuing to, to make sure that we challenge our listeners and ourselves, I want to put another challenge out there, which is give yourself a little leeway. If you've been busting your ass all week and you are just getting ready to bust your ass some more, take a minute, breathe, check in with yeah. yourself, do a little stretching, right? Where's my body at? Where's my mind at? Mm -hmm. When's the last time I, I pampered myself in, in even a small way, you know? Yeah. Um, I mean, that's that's so important, you know, just you know, the past couple of weeks, you know, it's been crazy at school and whatnot and like gearing up for our New York trip mm -hmm. um, that we take every year. And it's like, OK, mm -hmm. you know, when can I, you know, when can I stop and like breathe and take a second to just kind of really relax and i feel like the key is you have to force yourself mm -hmm. you know you have to force yourself to just say like you know what you are doing great mm -hmm. you know you if you're if you're working hard like you said like you know you're, you're trying to be encouraging other people you have to say that you definitely have to say that to yourself of being like you are doing great mm -hmm. okay but now is the time to actually take a second take a moment to relax to just kind of breathe and shut off your brain, even mm -hmm. if it's for like fifteen minutes. You know, like the other day, I took a uh, I took a bath, and I was like, you know what? I no, I started. Well, I started to take a shower, mm -hmm. and I turned it off, and I was like, you know, what? I'm I'm gonna drop one of these bath bombs in here. Oh, boo! Um, do it and. In, <laughs> And enjoy myself. And <laughs> normally, normally I read. Um, normally, I have like a little glass of wine. Mm -hmm. And this time, I just sat there. Mm -hmm. um, I turned on some lo-fi hip hop. Love that. And just relaxed. Like I just, I did not think about anything. <sighs> and it was so wonderful. And you know what? And and I and I immediately went back to work after taking this bath mm -hmm. but i just felt so much better you know mm -hmm. like it wasn't like oh, well i gotta go edit this audio or like oh i gotta go do this or i gotta do that it was like no i want to like i'm i'm pumped again mm -hmm. you know it's like it was like giving myself that little mental reset that i needed to just keep going for the rest of the day well and it's kind of like it reminds me of being in grade school you know like teachers and even like our government recognizes that when you're a kid you've got to get mm. up like in the middle of the day you have recess so that you can run around and then come back and you have lunch and recharge and then come back and do it and i think that as adults we just lose sight of that but like our human minds are only meant to focus for so long and i yeah. do the same thing that you're talking about which is like you know scheduling in relaxation time like right like i'm going to take a bath but i'm going to make it a productive bath and i'm going to read a book too okay that's mm -hmm. not really relaxing right? right like and you're right like i even i talked to my therapist about this too i was like telling her the ways that i relax because she was like listen list it out for me and i was like okay i do this and do this and do this and i just don't feel you know productive after some of those things and she was like but isn't that productive like spending time with your partner that's productive that's mm -hmm. relationship building right or mm -hmm. like spending time caring for your body relaxing in a tub that's 
that's productive. It's just in a different way. You need to redefine productivity. And I guess that's my challenge. I guess that's the like synthesized version version of it. Mm. Redefine productivity in your mind. When you think you're not being productive, reconsider that maybe you're just being productive to a different aspect of your life, your emotional health, your your mental state, your physical well-being. Right. Reconsider what that is. Um and I think that you will find just as as you have, Marcus, that you are ready mm. to double down and redouble your efforts to do a little bit better to do work a little bit harder and you'll maybe get mm-hmm. some of those things done faster if you spend just a little bit more time on yourself right oh, that was just like weighing heavily on me and that was i mean i hope that helps listeners but also sometimes i just need to hear myself say the things that i should be following oh yeah um because it it feels so much better when you when you verbalize things whether it's to that and i had to learn that you know, whether it was to a friend, um, you know, a colleague, to my mom mm-hmm. or my dad mm-hmm. or whatever. It's like my mom was like, don't you feel so much better? And I said, yeah. And she's like, stop, you know, taking that all in and, and dealing with it, you know, just mentally. There's so much going on in your mind, mm-hmm. you know, let some of that stuff out. Yeah. Just get it out there because I. Pro- it's like writing down a list, you know, like as soon as you write mm-hmm. it down, you're like, oh, that's not that much. I was getting right. crazy in my head that it was so much to do, but it's actually, oh, it's just these six things or like these four things <laughs> and I can get mm-hmm. those mostly done in an hour and then you check them off. You know, it's the same thing, verbalizing and saying, hey, I just need to to do this. And then you say it and you're like, I believe it because it's also coming from me. Like I'm not mm-hmm. hearing it from mm-hmm. someone else. Um, yeah, I, that's, I, I don't know if that was much of a crisis, I, I'm, but I'm very emotionally invested in it. I wanted to talk about it. Of course. Especially after yeah. we, we did have such a busy weekend. Um, you had a busier weekend than I. It's, it started earlier for you. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But for listeners who don't know, my, my mother, uh, who of course teaches with Marcus, um, every year you guys go on a, a New York City drama trip with uh, a bunch of students who go and you guys see shows and you do workshops and you stay in a hotel for a couple of days um, mm-hmm. and pack a bunch of theatrical wonder into... Uh, you know, your stay there. And I think it's really good for the kids, but sometimes it's also really good for us. We get to see great shows. And, and I say us because I always get to somehow tag along. Um, <laughs> right. And so I was lucky enough to come up and see um, To Kill a Mockingbird with Jeff Daniels by Aaron Sorkin mm-hmm. on Broadway, as well as, um, oh my God, the incredible Band's Visit, um, mm-hmm. which was just not what I was expecting, but but so, so cool. And um, I want to get through uh, our next segment, but I, I am really excited to talk about these shows with you live on the air, Marcus. Um, oh, but yeah. before we get to the go, get to those, um, we're going to step into what's the word, what's happening in uh, the universe, in entertainment, in a bunch of different things in our world. Um, a lot of comic book and uh, like movie related news. Um, it's actually mostly what I could find. I, I don't know if there's mm-hmm. anything that like really, you know, hit you, um, while you were, you know, browsing the internet earlier this week or the week before. But mm-hmm. as I was searching, it was just tons of like word from Marvel, word from Disney, um, you know, things from DC, the, the, you know, Ben Affleck stepping down and stuff like that. So I want to, I want to tackle some of that and get into it. Yeah. Um, 
the first thing on my agenda is we got word from Marvel and DC on the cancellation of Jessica Jones after season three. So there will be another season um, and Punisher after season two. Um, but they're more than probable triumphant return to Disney Plus. So um, interestingly enough, like the guy that made the statement on Marvel and Disney's behalf um, indicated that it was Netflix's decision to drop the shows and suggested that they aren't done with the characters. Um, quote, unquote, our network partner may have decided they no longer want to continue telling the tales of these great characters, but you know Marvel better than that. As Matthew Murdoch's dad once said, the measure of a man is not how he gets knocked to the mat, it's how he gets back up. And then he said, to be continued. So, hmm. I, I mean, of course, I, I think that there's been a lot of speculation about these characters coming back to Disney Plus um, mm -hmm. for Disney's mm -hmm. own streaming service. Um, there's a ton of other shows. I was looking like the, the season seven of Star Wars Clone Wars, Mandalorian, um, the, the Loki like fan favorite show that has been in talks yeah. and stuff like that. Um, I think it's absolutely you know, completely reasonable and, and most likely probable that these characters will, will just come back, um, mm -hmm. you know, in a couple of, uh, in like a year. Like, I would be fine with that, but here's my, here's my issue. I mean, here's, cause I mean, I love the Marvel Netflix shows. Mm -hmm. Me too. But there, there is one thing that I feel that they've got to fix, especially if, and I feel like they can, especially if they bring it over to Disney Plus. You have got to uh, restore the connective tissue between your TV shows and your movies. Mm -hmm. I, That's a good point. I think that I think it's a big missed opportunity for them. Like as far as storytelling goes, um, to not have that connective tissue. Mm -hmm. I mean, I I would I I tell people all the time. I'm like, what I really would love to see is, you know, like in a Punisher, how much cooler would the Punisher have been, you know, because it dealt with PTSD and the military. Well, why don't you dig into, like, this is the military in, like, a world where there's, like, people like Thor. There's Iron Man, who is basically a nuclear deterrent. Mm -hmm. um, and that the, and like anybody who... Uh, could possibly threaten the United States. Guess what? It ain't the military that's going to be taking them on. Right. Right. Well. Um, mm -hmm. And I would and I would have loved to have to have seen more of like of that story. I mean, I got I definitely got in Jessica Jones um, the connective tissue between her and the larger MCU. Um, Daredevil, Luke Cage, Iron Fist. I you know you you felt it. You felt like okay, this this is a superhero show set in the MCU. I definitely get that. But to me, Punisher was so strong and that, and it, it kills me that that was the one thing for me is like, this is, this is bothering me throughout the entire season. Yeah. And I almost wonder, I mean, I completely agree. That's a great point. And I honestly hadn't given that much thought. Um, so mm. I'm, I'm glad you brought it up, but I think it's, I think it's also a missed opportunity in the sense that like there are great characters that have specifically struggled with the same thing that you're talking about right ptsd like robert downey jr as iron man that was the main plot of iron man 3 is that he basically yeah. couldn't get his head wrapped around it again and we almost saw that drop off 
Um, mm-hmm. And in mm-hmm. the same way, like people that aren't used to being in military experiences or like war zones, seeing how some of them would react. And also like we have Captain America and Bucky, like people that have been fighting you know, and have military training, but are now having to mm-hmm. repurpose themselves in, I won't say a similar way than the pun that the Punisher is, but um, certainly I, I think it could fit along that basis. Um, and we could see oh, yeah. them compared, you know, and how their personalities have changed based on, on their um, different commitments, I guess, and their, their different mm-hmm. styles of attack, literally and figuratively. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I think the, the, the thing that's kept them from doing that, and I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, tell me your thoughts, but um, hmm. right now we've been getting very, very, like, universal. We've been spreading out across the galaxy. Um, and mm. in the beginning, I think it was easy for the Marvel shows because they were coming in the wake of Avengers. Um, right. And it happened in New York, right? Like, the portal opened mm. in New York. So in the, those first seasons, it was like... You, there were direct references to like the event or mm. I can't even remember what they called it. Um, it was the, the, the incident. incident, right? And they mm. do that in like agents of shield too. Sometimes. Um, I also think that we didn't know those characters that well. And especially in the beginning, they were operating on a very, very, very street level. The defenders oh, yeah. was like the biggest where I felt there could have been more crossover. Um, mm-hmm. And especially, I think that once we get maybe past the um, Avengers 4 end game, right, and we get some Doctor Strange and some mysticism in there, I think that could easily mm-hmm. tie into, surprisingly, Iron Fist, even mm-hmm. though that's maybe mm-hmm. my least favorite Netflix show. And then it could we could right. introduce those <laughs> characters in and be like, oh, these characters have been busting their asses to keep New York safe while we've been mm-hmm. off in some other you know, realm or some other quadrant yeah. of the galaxy. Well, and I, and I think that Jessica Jones, you know, I feel like she, her, especially in season two, they did a very nice job of, expl- of trying to explain that, yes, there are other people with powers in the world mm-hmm. and that there's so many that you really can't keep track of them, um, which to me kind of helped out as far as explaining like why the, why no one ever came after Luke Cage, mm, mm-hmm. you know, like after, like in a post Sokovia Accords world. Mm-hmm. Um, but I feel, but again, I feel like, you know, you're, that's a miss. That's a very, yeah. very missed plot point where agents of shield does reference, um, uh, uh, the Sokovia Accords. You could have very easily explain like the cop. And I had to like, piece it together myself and i don't know if this is like the official uh explanation but to me it's because like the cops kind of like all turned a blind eye to luke cage Mm -hmm. and that's why he never like that's why like he was never really turned in because it's like who's gonna take down you know this bulletproof dude Mm -hmm. who who is like very clearly like saving harlem yeah you know, so it's like, all right, well, like, I, I get that. But then I'm like, okay, but what about Daredevil? What about Jessica Jones? Well, especially because um, these are they two have, people. like, real powers, you know? Like, mm-hmm. I mean, like, I, I don't know. Like, they're all characters that could easily be incorporated. That I mean, they do have, like, more street-level powers. But, like, Luke Cage, like, 
he's fucking super strong and bulletproof. Like he could easily right. be incorporated, <laughs> and so could Jessica Jones. Like super mm-hmm. strength, right? Like Daredevil, I can kind of see. Like yeah, he's just like human at the end of the day. But mm. like, are you kidding me? Like Danny, <laughs> like right. well, I guess now it's Colleen, <laughs> but could easily easily be represented um well no danny danny gets uh he gets his powers yeah, back at the end there at the end of, with the yeah, guns. The end of season two yeah <laughs> which we'll never unfortunately we'll, we won't see for you know hope i mean we'll hopefully we will see it again because i thought iron fist season two was much stronger much stronger. and i was excited for season three me too and then they took it away <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, I would be interested, and I'm sure that, like, I, I was also reading in the interview that I quoted that, like, um, you know, he kind of continued to say, like, these actors were all caught by surprise in the same way we were, that Netflix was kind of like, okay, well, we're done. And I think that Netflix mm-hmm. did that because of the announcement of Disney+, Plus that they were like, we're going to yeah. end it on our terms, um, mm-hmm. which I mm-hmm. guess makes sense to me. Um, yeah. But... I would not be surprised if they were like, hey, John, you want to keep being the Punisher? And he would be like, fuck yeah. Like, oh, he's right. And Charlie Cox, like (laughs) these actors, Mm -hmm. I mean, all of them are just, I think, sensational. Um, So it would be ridiculous. Um, And they've gotten great paychecks and consistent work, you know, and how many seasons now are there are going to be of of these produced shows like 12, 13 across all, you know, different. Yeah. So, I mean, I think it would be great. And there's so many, there's so much overlap, especially with like the night nurse and all of that. Mm. I think it would be silly for the actors to turn down. So they wouldn't even have to do like a reboot. It could just be kind of a continuation. Uh, That's, that's exactly right. I mean, that's what I would do, especially since technically, um, because I, I feel like everyone's been ignoring this too. Um, cause I didn't even think about it till this morning when I woke up cause I'm a nerd and that's of course what I was thinking about. <laughs> you woke up and it was like, uh, <laughs> um, we're forgetting about the runaways mm. and we're also forgetting about cloak and dagger mm-hmm. and cloak and dagger to me is probably the one with the most connective tissue to the larger MCU. Mm. And it also, and it has references to Luke Cage. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the characters leaves Luke Cage and then is in Cloak and Dagger. Mm-hmm. And Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. has the Judas bullet from uh, Luke Cage. Whoa. So be- Luke Cage probably saved all of these shows from ha- from needing reboots because you're like, well, you've already introduced all of these things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know? it would be easy. Um, I, I just mm-hmm. and I don't think there's enough time between. You know, if they started production early, you know, this year, like in the next couple of months, mm-hmm. and started rolling, you know, in mid year, and then pr- released it, you know, next this time next year or a little bit after, I, I don't think that that would be crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, I think mm-hmm. everyone would still be on board. And in the meantime, if you still have Netflix, you can catch up. Like, all those shows are staying there. Um, so yeah. I think the, the possibility, uh, I agree with what you're saying, the possibility of um, maintaining and re, you know, reigniting that connective tissue is definitely mm-hmm. there. It just needs to be tapped. And I yeah. think that might, this actually might be a good move for Marvel and for Disney mm-hmm. in that, like, there will be some time. Um, and the like crossover into kind of phase four, ending phase three, getting into Captain Marvel and some of the other Spider-Man two, right? 
mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and kind of reboot, soft, gently blowing reboot um, mm-hmm. of these characters <laughs> into a, a different, <laughs> you know, like production. Um, yeah. A medium. I think it would be great. Um, yeah, I think. Now, question, question, yeah. real quick. Now, would you keep them rated R or rated mature? Ooh. Or would you skip? I mean, because Deadpool is going to, when when Deadpool officially becomes like an MCU movie, mm-hmm. um, they've already said they're going to keep Deadpool rated R. I think I would because mm-hmm. I think it's going to be enticing for, like, because right now they're marketing mostly. I mean, if you think about Disney's properties, I think Marvel mm-hmm. is one of the only properties that has potential to um, market directly to adults. Um, mm. A lot of the other Disney potential is in their, you know, like old properties, um, yeah. like those, you know, great movies that we love to, you know, look up on Netflix, right? Um, in mm. association with Pixar and all of those different things um, that we can play for our kids. Now, if you're going to convince right. me, a, a you know, like a twenty-something, to switch mm. from Netflix to Disney Plus. Because the assumption is that maybe we're not keeping one or the other. That if you have all the Marvel movies and TV shows Mm -hmm. move to Disney Plus, I would maybe say, you know what? Yeah, I'm going to make the switch. Mm. Um, And I think that they could broadcast it in like you know the same way or you know market it in the same way that Netflix does, where they have like these are the Netflix originals or like these are the um, this is like the the parents' corner. You know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, of Disney Plus, and you have to like enter enter your Disney Plus password to get to that content, so that your kids can still watch it, um, and right. you don't have to be worried about them seeing Kingpin beat the shit out of Daredevil, <laughs> um, even though half of them probably already have. Yeah, <laughs> but I think it, I think it would be smart to answer your question. I think it would be absolutely mm. smart to to keep that, and I think that there would be no reason in, in dumbing it down or making it PG 13, like not after they've mm. already released that content. I think you would actually lose viewers. Right. right. Don't you think? Mm. I, I honestly think you would. And I mean, it, again, it just gives, it just gives the, the, uh, the MCU, it gives them that edge. Um, it makes it, I mean, I feel like, okay. So the, I've always said, Hey, if the movies are, you know, PG 13, Okay, fine. Like we don't need to see, you know, nudity or like, like you know, gratuitous violence in, uh, in the larger MCU. But on the TV shows, I feel like that's fine. Yeah, I think it's what makes them you know. Different. It doesn't make me feel like I'm I'm seeing. Yeah, it doesn't make me feel like I'm, you know, uh, seeing something different or like something completely like out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. It's like I know that violence and death, um, and sex like lives in the MCU. I'm okay not seeing that so that I can get like a little bit more story. Um, Cause I mean, they only have two hours. Mm-hmm. Well, in Endgame they've got three hours, but still. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Which I'm very excited about. Um, and actually moving on, there is, there was some, uh, you know, an announcements um, about Endgame. Um, mm. Most notably, um, the Marvel character Pepper Potts will make her final appearance as we know her this spring. Actress Gwyneth Paltrow, who has played um, Tony Stark's you know trustworthy secretary turned love interest, um, since 
back in 2008, said she will end her portrayal of the character after Avengers Endgame. Um, she said, you know, and I understand this. She said, quote unquote, I'm, I'm a bit old to be in a suit and all at this point. Um, you know, she started when she was 35 and now she's 46, about to be 47. Mm-hmm. Um, she said, I feel very lucky that I did it because I actually got talked into it. Um, like John Favreau <laughs> actually like talked her into taking the part. Um, mm-hmm. and she was like, it was such a wonderful experience making the first Iron Man and then getting to watch how important it has become to, to fans all over the world and, and like the movement that it started. Um, but she also did say like, she's opening open completely to making cameos. Um, she was like, you know, of course, if they said like, can you come back for a day or two and film, you know, just this, or like, can you do your voice? She said, I will always be there if they need me. Um, mm-hmm. which I thought was very admirable. Um, yeah. but I get it. Cause she really doesn't have to do that. No, not at all. Um, but I think mm. it'll be wise of her, like, especially, you know, I don't know how we're going to see the transition out necessarily of Tony, um, or of mm. Steve Rogers. Like, I don't know how those characters are going to necessarily play out after Endgame. Um, there's a, been a mm. lot of speculation, but I think this is a nice, happy medium, right? If we get cameos of Tony and uh like rdj and he's with gwyneth right and like they're with their kid right. and they both retired or whatever i think that's great um what do you think marcus which i i really feel like that's the route they're gonna yeah go. i i cannot especially after you know especially after infinity war where you're literally you leave the theater crying mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. um like even now you're still watching infinity war and you still cry um it gets I, you. I just feel yeah, I mean, I just feel like it's not going to. It's it's so telegraphed that like Tony Stark's gonna die, Captain uh, Captain America's gonna die. I, no, not really. They don't have to. Like, I mean, they've they they've gone in the comic books. They you know, there's been times where they're not the focus anymore. Mm-hmm. That they've that they've given up the mantle. Now, granted, um, fans got angry. Right, mm-hmm. because because they because they did that, um, but it feels like fans are a little bit more forgiving of changes when it comes to the movies than they are with the comic books, mm. um, and I feel like because of that, we have the potential to phase out, you know, uh, Iron Man and Captain America, and just be like they're here, they're still in the MCU, they just they're just not going to show up. It's going to be like a, a Paul Walker type deal mm-hmm. in uh Fast and Furious, mm-hmm. you know? It's like it's like should we call uh should we call uh Tony? No, we shouldn't call Tony because Tony literally almost got killed in Endgame. Like let them rest. Right. Well, <laughs> like we can handle and this. And there's so many more heroes to explore um as we've, mm-hmm. you know, proven again and again and again, and I think that we need more diversity in our heroes. These heroes serve their purpose for, you know, the the MCU and now it's time to pass the torch. Um, and we've said yeah. that on the show before, but I, I think it, it bears, you know, it, it's worth repeating, um, in mm. saying that this would be a perfect route for them to take. I think, you know, we can, they can take a back seat. We can still reference them. Maybe we see Tony in, in the kind of way that we see him in Spider-Man Homecoming. He stops in and he's like, right. dude, what are you doing? Right. And then like mm-hmm. leaves. Um, <laughs> and I think it would be especially great if we actually got some downtime with them. Like they meet in a park and Tony's like, mm-hmm. I don't. I don't really do that anymore, but like, best of luck. 
you know, I, I've, yeah. I've, I've reordered my priorities. Um, mm-hmm. And I'll, of course, lend a hand in the same way that Gwyneth is, is saying to her character. I think that would be great. Yeah. I think it would be well mm-hmm. earned after 11 years. It's like, um, and you know, it's and it's funny because everyone always teases me about my love for WWE. Mm-hmm. Uh, one month till WrestleMania. Um <laughs> And, you know, it's 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 kind of the same deal that they're going through where their top star um, that they were grooming to be like the new Hulk Hogan, John Cena, um, he got he got diagnosed with leukemia. And the entire company has been in a tailspin because they they don't know what to do with like you know their titles or their storylines because they're like oh we'll just uh, uh we'll put it on this guy who doesn't really do a lot and the fans clearly don't like this guy um and while there's definitely they have plenty of people mm-hmm. you know much like the MCU they have plenty of other superstars um superheroes but for some reason they only focus on you know Iron Man, Captain America, they only focus on like these like these very few people mm-hmm. and eventually the product does get stale. You want to see new people. Um and so what they've been trying to do is they've been like, okay, well let's bring in these four new guys that everyone seems to like and hopefully that will be that will be better. Mm-hmm. The the big difference between the MCU and WWE is that the MCU knows how to tell a good story. Ooh. WWE, WWE is str- yeah, I'll call it out. Uh, WWE is struggling <laughs> however on <laughs> on how to tell um, you know, a complete story to to build up these characters. And I think that, um, I think that's been the problem with the comic books too, Mm -hmm. is that the comic books, they introduce people like Riri Williams and they rely on the fact that she is a black woman instead of just being like, who, who is she besides her race? Right. You know, what's like, she's more than just a race. She's more than just her gender. Like give her, give her a character, you know, do you hear me, Vince McMahon? Give people characters, doggone. I want my product back. Uh, is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> if you're listening to this. Um, I completely agree. And I think that, uh, you know, it's also time for maybe some younger heroes. Um, mm. We've told so much story through flashbacks. Um, mm. And I think there's been so much reliance on that because of the um, iconicism of these heroes. But I think the mm. world is ready more than ever for like heroes that they haven't even really heard of. Like everyone was kind of like, I mean, you know, comic book fans knew who she was, but people were like, Captain Marvel? Who? What? Wasn't that like a DC guy? They're like, no, it's actually Mm -hmm. this woman. Same thing with like Guardians (laughs) of the Galaxy. People were like, wait, what? Mm -hmm. Oh, there's like a raccoon. Cool. Um, Ant. And look how much they blew up. Right. And like Ant-Man, right? Like you never would have guessed, even though he's a founding member, Ant-Man and the Wasp are founding members of the Avengers in the comic books. Mm. You never would have guessed, right? Um, And I think we're ready for that. And as far as, you know, like at least I will say MCU has gotten this right as well. The consistency Mm. with their characters. They haven't been switching around every three movies. And that's right. got to take its toll on the actors. So I applaud Gwyneth for sticking, you know, with them for so long for these, you know, 10 minutes of screen time, if that, in some of these movies. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. That kind of, you know, pushes me into my next point, which is a, a, a fond farewell to Ben Affleck, um, 
as Batman. He officially <laughs> stepped down from the role of Batman, and it's said that the lead contender, I'm so eager to hear your thoughts on this, um, to replace mm-hmm. him as Batman in the upcoming film will be Army Hammer. Hmm. Um, I know you didn't like Affleck. I, no, well, no, I, I just felt like, I actually liked his Batman. What I didn't like was, he didn't show me the three Batman. Mm. You know, he didn't, he didn't show me Bruce Wayne, uh, the the tortured orphan. He didn't show me Bruce Wayne, billionaire playboy, but he did show me Batman. Mm-hmm. Um, a little bit of the tortured orphan, but it, again, it was, it was, he was consumed with his hate for Superman, which I'm like. I, he shouldn't be that. That shouldn't be the first Batman I see. Mm-mm. You know, like he can get to that point. Like that would that would be great. That's a great story to mm-hmm. tell. But but don't open with that. Well, and that's you know? that's I mean speaking to DCU storytelling, um, mm-hmm. you know, at large. But I I think if we would have had him longer, that mm-hmm. like the movie The Batman would have been his time to show a little bit. Of his, like, the tortured orphan and a little bit of him playing the billionaire playboy. But we didn't really have a chance for him to in these past movies. Mm -hmm. Because, like, think about the scenes that he was in. He was mostly, like, alone with Alfred or with other heroes. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. when was he going to show us that? You know what I mean? Um, But I, I really loved his portrayal of Batman. I thought it was, you know, kind of brutal and cutting and in the... At least in Justice League, it was kind of like um, that sardonic humor that I've come to love of the new comics <laughs> of him mm-hmm, just like mm-hmm. kind of grunting at a joke. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I love that. Batman is our shared favorite hero here on Not So Famous. Yeah. He's the mascot. <laughs> um, so this is very personal to me. But Army Hammer, I don't know how I feel well, you know, he was he was originally supposed to play Batman. Right. And then mm-hmm. they decided to go with someone older, which I appreciated. But I mm-hmm. think Army Hammer is kind of like the perfect, maybe, level and age to play a little bit of both, right? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Well, and, and here's the thing. It's... And we and we talked about this a little bit on, on Popcorn Prattle. Mm-hmm. Um where we were, you know, we were trying to, I was trying to figure out what story are you planning on telling? Because, um, I don't know if you, I don't know if you heard this about Birds of Prey. The whole premise is that Batman's gone. Like, he's not in Gotham. No one knows where Batman is. Hmm. Batman disappeared shortly after Justice League. Whoa. Yeah. And so that's why um, Black Mask is pretty much like, it's basically like the bad old times again. Like the mob is back in town and Black Mask is pretty much uh, numero uno in Gotham. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of where they're, and that's kind of where Birds of Prey starts off. Mm-hmm. Um, so my, my big question is, is where is Batman and if they're going the route that I think they should have gone from the beginning, because I, I was personally like, you need a young actor to play Batman who is on the same, who looks around the same age as the rest of the Justice League. Mm-hmm. You know, um, he definitely felt like the old man, the grumpy old man uh, in Justice League. Unfortunately, um, and I feel like if you. 
if you tell this particular story, right? Mm-hmm. So it opens up with uh, no one knows where Batman is. The Bat family is reassembled. You know, mm-hmm. like I feel like that—that's—that's—that's that's, that's how you open up a Batman movie. Don't open it up with Batman. Introduce me to the Bat family. You bring out Batwoman. You bring out Batgirl. You bring out uh, Damian Wayne. You bring out Red Robin. You bring out Red Hood. You bring out all of the Bat Night. And then Nightwing is the I one was say. who's kind of like he—he gets—he gets the call up. And so, part one. Of the Batman, right? The first half is Battle for the Cow. I was just about to say, I'm glad that we're on the same page because I think our... Oh, yeah? Yeah. <laughs> I was completely saying the same thing. As soon as you said, like, he needs to be younger, I was like, wait, this might actually be perfect that we had Ben Affleck for the time that we did because he mm-hmm. it could be, you know, he kind of stepped away. And mm-hmm. now we have the potential for Battle of the Cow Nightwing to take over as Batman, Damien to sub mm-hmm. in as Robin, because we already know from like the the you know kind of Easter eggs in um, Batman versus Superman and in Justice League that like Jason Todd has already died, so mm-hmm. we mm-hmm. have the potential for him to come back and for all of this to make sense in continuity and for Ben Affleck to still you know hold title of Bruce Wayne, mm-hmm. but we could continue on with army hammer taking nightwing well see that's no see this is where i would i would flip the script a little bit because i would only do battle for the cowl in the first half of the movie Mm. while also like you know like maybe having like this this ongoing mystery of and maybe even like at the same time almost a la like saw two we're seeing we're seeing the past but we as the audience, we're seeing we think that this is happening at the exact same time as Battle for the Cow. Mm. Mm-hmm. You know? And then the climax of it, we find out Batman has been kidnapped by the League of Shadows. Mm-hmm. And he is be and he gets dipped into a Lazarus pit. Hmm. And so when he comes out, when he comes out of the Lazarus pit, he's much younger. He is, you know, maybe like a little bit more, a little bit more brutal. Um, and it, and it's kind of like, and it's this idea of, and, and again, you can keep, it's to, to help not like completely erase everything that you've done. He does it because he's like, I could not keep up in Justice League. Hmm. I could not, I couldn't, like if Darkseid came, I would die. Right. I have. I had to do something drastic. I had to dip myself in the Lazarus pit and basically offer myself to Ra's al Ghul. Um, that and then and then the Bat family is like Batman. Like, no, you you are the Batman. You are not the you know the leader of the League of Shadows. That would be really interesting. I mean, that's a that's a great suggested story, and I think it could work um, either way. I, I yeah. I, oh, I yeah. mean. I would buy either one of them. And I would even buy that Army Hammer is like the younger Batman. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And, and that, I think that could totally run, uh, like you're saying, like that as the climax, him kind of coming out. Even if we had Ben Affleck going in CGI'd or something. <laughs> right. Stepped in for filming. <laughs> just like we show him walking in and coming out the other side as Army. Like, I would buy it. I would suspend mm-hmm. my disbelief because Army Hammer's like thirty five <laughs> and Ben Affleck's like fifty something. So right. I would totally buy that. And I, I think it would also, you know, it would be 
um, completely justifiable with what you're saying. Like in Justice League, we saw that he was a little bit slower. Um, and mm-hmm. especially with so many people with powers, it would be nice to have him revitalized to take on the rest of the DCEU, like the potential that it has to continue. I mean, the, the, the most exciting thing about Batman to me is that he is he's the only human on the team and he he stands toe to toe with gods. You know, he's Mm -hmm. like, I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid of you. I am the very best of humanity. I will take you down if Mm -hmm. need be. (laughs) And that's that's what I want. That's what I want to see. I don't want to see Batman, you know, basically committing suicide to, you know, to unite the league. Yeah. Like, that's not that's not Batman. Batman would be like, I'm not working with them because I feel like they're a bunch of idiots and they're probably going to slow me down. That should have been the story you told in Justice League. And then they're like, no, we can come together as a team, Bruce. We're stronger together. Mm-hmm. And I think like that, that should have been the premise. I think that it would also reintroduce conflict for in a great way for the for the DCEU. Because it, it seemed all pretty buddy-buddy mm. there at the end. Um, yeah. You know, and, that, and that's, that's great for, like, um, you know, morale. And I think that we needed that in part from mm. that universe. But I also think that mm. they're... For the continuation of this universe to to hold validity in people's minds, there needs to be, just in the same way that Marvel did Civil War, there has to be conflict between them Um, so that we, you know, are stay interested. Because if they're just going to keep going Mm. and keep fighting different plots and stuff like that, like I can just read the comic books. Um, And be a lot more interesting. Yeah, and and a lot quicker, (laughs) right? Like I get those every week. Sorry to say. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot of potential, and I'm, I'm glad that we, we chatted about it. Um, I'm yeah, interested to see if he, if he takes over. I think he'd be great. And, you know, I've see, we've seen Henry Cavill and uh, Army on, on screen together. They always do great. Um, mm-hmm. So I'd be interested to see them continue the, that relationship on screen in a different way. Absolutely. Um, switching gears once again into a different franchise um i just thought we'd end what's the word comic book corner essentially um this this week um with some exciting news just like a little fun fact um this past wednesday morning the guinness world records announced a new record and presented uh hugh jackman and sir patrick stewart with awards for their tenures as superhero actors since both of them appeared in the first x-men film all the way back in 2000 as well as logan in 2017 they share the world's uh record for longest career as a live action marvel superhero the time from their first movie to their last as Wolverine and Charles Xavier spanned 16 years and 228 days. That's that's hmm. a long time. For both of yeah, them? Yeah, because they were both in the first X-Men and they right. both appeared in Logan as the same characters. Yeah, but... Uh... Hugh Jackman's played Wolverine more times than Patrick Stewart's played uh, Charles Xavier. Mm, yes, maybe by like one or two movies, but their mm-hmm. like their continuity has always been the same. Okay. Do you know what I mean? Like even when it was, because um... when I heard that, I was confused. I was like, no, because uh, Wolverine um, Origins. Mm-hmm. 
the Wolverine. Mm-hmm. No, well, no, Patrick Stewart's in that one. Yes, he is. Um, and it's also like I am trying to think of the the like X Men First Class. Um, Hugh Jackman's in. Yeah, he's got like a small cameo. Uh-huh. But like Patrick Stewart has a small cameo in um, Days of Future Past, like at the beginning. Well, but so does Hugh Jackman. Well, yeah. Well, they're both in it. They're both because I, I I literally just watched it. That's the only reason why I know Ugh. this. They're both they're both in it. Like pretty like pretty like throughout. Except Hugh Jackman definitely is like the focus so of it. Maybe um, he's got but, like one movie on him. Yeah, I guess I don't I don't know how they I don't know how they factored out. I mean, I'm glad that. I mean, it's semantics either way. Yeah, I'm glad, I'm glad that Patrick Stewart got it. Um, I was just like, I was just confused. I was like, wait a minute. I again, I'm a nerd. I wake up in the morning and think about comic book movies. So, well, <laughs> hey, you know, I think more of the world is doing that now too. But I think that what the like semantics of it were were that n- never in these past 16 years and 228 days so far has someone mm. else proposed to be. Wolverine other Mm. than Hugh Jackman Mm. you know like there's Mm. never been a reintroduction of like now this is Wolverine not yet at least right the only introduction that we've gotten of Charles Xavier is this is younger Charles Xavier right um Mm. so the continuity continues to line up until Mm. now I think um and so I think that's what the the award was and it's adorable if you look gotcha. it up like getting seeing them get it, uh presented. Oh yeah. He's like so <laughs> so cute and Hugh is like, "Oh my god, like this is so adorable. <laughs> Thank you so much." Um so I mean it's cute to watch them do that and uh yeah. I just thought it was, you know, something fun that we could end on for for what's the word. Just that two of yeah, our heroes were were recognized. Um mm-hmm. Yeah, so that felt good. F- and they and they they went out on such a high note. Yeah, they that Logan was oh that was beautiful. It is beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, you know what? That's probably Logan and and uh, made the uh, Spider Man to Spider Verse two superhero movies where I was like, that is a great movie. That's not a great superhero movie. That's just a great movie. Yeah, Logan is just like cinematograph cinematographically. I don't know the proper word. Um. <laughs> Beautiful, <laughs> like this. The cinematography you, in Logan is beautiful. Jesus, did you watch it in black and white? Um, no, I didn't know you could. Oh, what? Yeah, yeah, it came out on on the Blu-ray. There's a black and white like Logan noir version, and it is. It looks great. Like it just it makes it. It just makes it grittier. It makes it just. I loved it. Well, slap my ass. And That's call the only me version pig. I watched. What watch. the hell? Yeah, <laughs> I love that. That sounds awesome. You have to check it out. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know what's also beautiful? What's that? Justice. Um, and I'm excited. <laughs> I'm excited to take uh-huh. a, a step into a moment in the safe space and talk a little bit about justice. Um, okay. If you have, I'm getting really excited because I just I just saw the <laughs> what we're talking about and I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we've all been like, wait, hasn't it been like three years and like hasn't collusion with Russia been basically proven? All right, here's here's the scoop, fans. Um, 
I don't know why. I, I'm guessing now there's dedicated fans to just a moment in the safe space. I wonder if there's some diehard liberals that are like, we fucking love, I get all my news from a moment in the safe space. I don't know why you wouldn't have heard about this then, fans, but I'm glad to bring it to you now. Um, so the Justice Department is preparing for the Mueller report as early as this coming week. Okay. Um, wow. What does this mean for us? I wanted to break it down a little bit. Um, basically, the attorney, attorney General Bill Barr is preparing to announce as early as this week the completion of Robert Mueller's Russia investigation with plans for Barr to submit to Congress soon after a summary of Mueller's confidential report, um, according to people familiar with the plans. That's what CNN reported on. Um these preparations are the clearest indication yet that Mueller is nearly done with his um, almost two and a half year investigation into collusion with Russia and, and their interference in the 2016 election. Um, the precise timing of the announcement is, to the public is subject to change, of course. Um, the scope and contours of what Barr will send exactly to Congress remain unclear, as well as as what he's going to release to to us, like what we will hear about mm. besides oh, it has been, you know, submitted to Congress. Um, mm. What of that needs to remain confidential for the security of our nation um, is is unclear at the moment. But I, I, it's also, you know, like unclear what will happen after that. Um, and it's also, I mean, it's subject to change right now because President uh, Trump is about to travel overseas, overseas for a summit with North Korean leader Kim Jong-un again. Um, so justice officials are kind of trying to, to figure out a way to not interfere with the White House's actual diplomatic efforts, like, you know, right peace talks with, oh, and he's also a fucking traitor. Like, obviously, we're trying to be a little bit gentle with that. I'm not saying that, you know, Trump mm. is going to go to this peace talk and, and blow our minds with how wonderful and kind and generous he is. <laughs> But also, you know, releasing that could raise tensions where we don't need them necessarily. Um, mm -hmm. So, the, you know, the exact timing of that is still a little unclear. But I think it's really exciting that we are hearing that the investigation is coming to a close. Yeah. Um, and no matter what they find, I mean, and what exactly is released to us and what is released to Congress, I think this is pivotal for the future of the office of the president and for mm. Trump's potential, you know, bid for reelection. We've had so many people um, in this past week and two announce that they are going to run for president in 2020. Um, so far as I know, Trump hasn't released anything. Um, mm -hmm. I think that this could make a monumental impact on that oh, yeah. bid. Um, because mm -hmm. even if it said like, okay, you know, he, he didn't do this X, Y, and Z that we thought he might've did, but he was directly in contact with people who did. Mm -hmm. I mean, do you really want to, that's still, we, we, you know, we didn't know that and he barely became president. Right. So, and he lost popular vote. So I don't know that he mm -hmm. gained back popular vote, especially with military professionals and personnel. Um, who voted mm -hmm. heavily for him in the past election. I don't know yeah. how they look upon a traitor. Well, I don't know how they're going to look upon him with this whole, you know, the national emergency thing where he's he's taking money out of their pockets. Mm -hmm. 
to to build a wall. To build a wall. And it's like, <laughs> you, you know, and, and he's just, and he, and he just he just seems even more. I don't know, like when this if if this thing like blows up this week, mm-hmm. um. He is going to lose it because he's already. I was wondering why he was getting like so agitated on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he's just been like it. Really looks like either like a celebrity ranting or like a child ranting um, on his Twitter account. Um, sometimes it can be both, uh, mm-hmm. but he it it just feels um, you you can just sense like like he's very agitated. He's looking for a win, mm-hmm. and it's not. And every every day, like he's still like he's just not gonna get it. Yeah, it's not coming. It, it just kind of keeps still going downhill. It's like he's take, he's taking one step forward, um, with his you know group, his little I don't even know base, mm-hmm. and then it's like three steps backwards, and everyone's like, mm. and his you know approval rate is just declining and declining and declining. I think it's in the upper twenties yeah. now, um. Which is the lowest it's ever been for any fucking Jeez, sitting president. <laughs> like, Bush wasn't this bad. Reagan wasn't this bad. Um, fucking Nixon wasn't this bad. I think the last person that was this bad was Andrew Jackson. So, we, we've got some we've got some struggles ahead. Um, not that I'm complaining. <laughs> Fuck you, Trump. Um, anyway... I just I need, I need to breathe. I need to breathe. I need to remember just to breathe. breathe. You're in the safe space. I, we're we're taking, taking your moment in the safe in space. In the arms of an angel. <laughs> um, okay. My next thing I just want to touch briefly on. It's kind of scary, hmm. and I don't know all the facts because I can't speak Russian. Um, but Russian president um, had basically his, uh, you know, kind of... State of the Union as well um, Mm -hmm. this past week. And I am going to oversimplify it because this is what I could gather from the news sources that I I was, you know, looking over. We're looking kind of to a parallel of um, like the Cuban Missile Crisis a little bit right now with Russia Hmm. again. Um, So basically Trump pulled out of the um, like uh, mid to long range missile deal. Claiming that Russia, like, you know, there's been several years where we're saying Russia has violated the pact, violated the pact, and we've, we've, you know, kind of continually forgiven them for that. And then we came together mm-hmm. for a meeting recently, and Trump blew his head and basically was like, we're pulling out um, of the deal. Um, and the deal was established in the, uh, I want to say, 70s, um, mm-hmm. after the Cuban Missile Crisis that basically said, you know, there there can't be Russian missiles that can reach, um, you know, United States soil, and there can't be United States missiles that reach Russian soil, um, just because it right. escalates tensions and, and blah, blah, blah. Um, so now the United mm-hmm. States has pulled out of that deal. Uh, every other country is obviously not, uh, you know, privy to take part in what was outlined in it. So basically, Russia said in their State of the Union, um, the president was like, uh, okay, so if United States missile missiles touch down, like anywhere in Europe, um, mm-hmm. like they did in the Cold War, um, 
Russian missiles will be right behind them, touching down in places that we can reach that will be able to reach U.S. destinations. Um, and, you know, they do this thing every year where they basically, like, Russia waves its dick around and says, like, we're developing new weapons, weapons that no one's ever seen before. It's so great. Mm-hmm. I love our world. Um, and basically Putin did the same thing this time. And he was like, we will respond in kind if we see missiles in the air. Like, we will mm-hmm. we'll fuck America up. They didn't essentially mm-hmm. say that, but that was the subtext. Um, so that's a little scary moving forward. I just want to mention it so that if we mention it in further shows, when it comes a little bit more clearly, um, you know, things stepping, you know, coming, coming to light, um, the listeners, you know, what we're talking about and that we stay informed with this because I'm hoping that it all just kind of fizzles out. But I mean, yeah. The Cold War, like, we're still lingering with the effects of that. Yes, um, th- those Those prejudices and biases are uh, against Russians, uh, you know, in, in America and against Americans in Russia are still alive and well. Um, mm-hmm. We just don't need... I, that's why I'm also interested, I, I wanted to bring it up, with this Russia investigation kind of coming to a head, there's a lot of potential tension. Um, so... You know, be aware, keep that in mind. Nothing to worry about yet. No moves have been made, but it's it's definitely on the chessboard, so to speak. Yeah, yeah. Um, speaking of the chessboard and tactical moves, the last thing I want to mention, it was something big that happened last week um, that I think is just worth mentioning on the show, especially given that we were in New York um, just this past weekend. Um, mm-hmm. Amazon, right? canceled its plans to build the expansive corporate campus in New York after facing uh, unexpectedly fierce backlash from lawmakers, progressive activists, and union leaders who contended that a tech giant did not deserve nearly $3 billion in government incentives. Um, the decision was an abrupt turnabout by Amazon after much publicized search for a second headquarters, which ended um, with an, its announcement in November that it would plan to open two new sites, one in Queens with more than 25,000 jobs and another in Virginia. Amazon's retreat was a blow to Governor Andrew M. Como and Mayor Bill de Blasio, damaging their effort to further diversify the city's econ- uh, economy by making it an inviting location for the technology industry. Now, the agreement to lure Amazon to Long Island, um, Queens, had stirred intense debate in New York about the use of public subsidies to entice wealthy companies, um, the rising cost of living in gentrifying neighborhoods, and the city's very identity. Um, So, I mean, in a statement from Amazon, basically, they said a number of state and local politicians have made it clear that they oppose our presence. We will not work. uh, They won't work with us to build the type of relationships that we uh, require to move forward. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of a complicated issue. Twenty five thousand jobs seems great, but New York has tons of jobs. Um, You know, there's a saturation of jobs in New York. And mostly lawmakers and politicians were saying, is this really where we should be spending our government subsidies? Maybe should we focus on local infrastructure and maybe, you know, transportation Mm -hmm. before we invite (laughs) 25,000 new jobs? If we can't get to the jobs, what's the fucking point? If MTA won't run. Right. Like, 
What do you what do you mean? Yeah, I think mean, that's a whole other <laughs> I've never seen any of my New York friends complain about MTA. Not ever. Not on Twitter, not bitterly on Facebook, never in an Instagram post. Um Right. Yeah, so I mean it's kind of a loss, but I'm interested to see what happens moving forward. I I'm sure that they won't give up on the idea of a second um, and third, you know, base moving forward. I I of don't course. think anything's going to happen with the Virginia one, but I'll be interested to see where they place this other one. I'm, I'm sure that, um, you know, a bunch of different states um, and local governments will will be quite back in the race to, to find Amazon its new home as one mm. of the, you know, largest tech companies on the planet. Right. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's my last bit on, on inside the uh, the safe space. Um, I don't know. There, there's a lot going on, a lot in our world. If I missed something, listeners, feel free to reach out. Let me know in the comments. Let me know, you know, hey, you didn't talk about this. There, there's a lot of news to cover. Um, lots of things happening in our entertainment and in our political um, and news, you know, spectrums. So if I didn't mention something, feel free to let me know. Um, and moving right on, speaking of we, we have so much to talk about. Um, mm-hmm. Stepping into kind of our... It's it's Kanye's corner, but it's, we're not going to completely talk about Kanye um, this time either. Although he will get an honorable mention. Uh, <laughs> as he as he is wont to do. Mm-hmm. Still love him. Make Kanye 2006 again. Can't wait for Yandi. I'm eagerly <laughs> anticipating. Um, I wanted to just quickly mention that you and I actually in New York talked about this, Marcus, briefly while we were at dinner one day. Um, mm-hmm. Ariana Grande became the first artist since the Beatles to snag the top 100 Billboard's first three spots. Grande's mm-hmm. current number one single, Seven Rings, is spending its fourth week atop the chart. Her third single from the Thank You Next album, Break Up With Your Girlfriend, I'm Bored, sits at number two. <laughs> and the title track, Thank You Next, sits at number three. It's been almost 55 years since the Beatles singles Can't Buy Me Love, Twist and Shout, and Do You Want to Know a Secret dominated the top three slots on the Hot 100 chart in April of 1964. That speaks to all of the stuff that we you know, spoke to um, last episode. Thank you, next. Yeah. Um, it, it just shows her accomplishments. I mean, I can't help but applaud her like she's mm-hmm. doing it, mm-hmm. you know? Oh, Proud absolutely. of her. It's, you know, it, I mean, again, it's, it's something that, you know, I, it, it's worth bringing up again, just because again, we've talked about before, um, she was going through so much, um, in order to, and then still produce this album. Um, you know, and a lot of people, a lot of people, especially people our age, Mitchell, I feel Mm -hmm. like a lot of people our age just, you know, they let, you know, the world, like all the the hate and their failures they just let it bog them down and then they don't produce something Mm -hmm. it's like look that's like look i understand the world is hard but guess what the world is just going to get harder Mm -hmm. it's not going to get easier Mm -hmm. you know so you know toughen up a little bit all right shake it off if the world knocks you down get back up and then do the damn thing, mm-hmm. right? This is your this is your world. This is your time. You have you have so many opportunities. 
all you have to do is you go out there and you grab it. And and not and I'm not saying grab it like it's gonna be easy, right? Because <laughs> it's not grabbing that grabbing that brass ring is not easy in the slightest, right? That's what makes it worth it in the end when you do get it, and you can tell yourself and you can look back and you tell yourself like like you know what I went through this I went through that and I'm still here on the top of the mountaintop I'm still standing. And I think that we forget sometimes, you know, like people. People are writing songs about fake um, breakups or fake lovers, right? They're just writing mm-hmm. songs to write songs or they're getting, you know, collaborators right. to write their songs. Ariana Grande writes mostly her own work. And I think what was impressive, especially about this album coming out of those things, is that she didn't just give up and, like, release that energy in a different way. She she invested it in her art, doubled down, and is reaping the rewards right now. I mean... No matter what mm-hmm. happens in the future, she can always say, I was the first person in, in 55 years. I mean, mm-hmm. I think it's just so emblematic that the last, you know, group to do it was literally the fucking Beatles. Um, <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, it's just it's just a testament. And she's got to be feeling good coming off of this high. Um, mm-hmm. And so uh, just another big shout out to her and, and to follow up with with her. She's she's doing just fine. She's been recognized one way or another. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This was also I was actually wondering this came up um, like last week. I was like, you know, who else constantly is creating work? Um, my boy, Drake, my boy, Drizzy, um, Drake, Drake, <laughs> um, <laughs> You know, he's always collaborating on stuff, and I was like, you know, I haven't heard of him. Uh, I haven't heard from him since, like, last year, which is so uh-huh. stupid. It's been, like, six months since he released his last album. But I was like, I haven't heard from him. And um, I looked up online. I was like, you know, he's been in – I saw this single that he was in with um, – uh, oh, my God, I'm blanking. We talked about him last uh, episode. Um, came out of prison. Please help me. Um, Meek DMX. Mill. Meek Mill. No, completely Oh, my wrong. God. <laughs> Meek Mill. Free Meek. Like DMX. Um, <laughs> you know, I saw that he had come up, uh, come out on that single and that, that video, and I was like, oh, what's he been up to lately? I completely missed that he dropped an album on February, uh, like, 15th, 16th. Um, mm-hmm. he, very interesting album, I gotta say. Um... It's the weirdest one that I've I've seen from him, to be quite honest. Hmm. Um, and he's had some weird albums, but he's usually pretty consistent. Um, I think it's you know it's it's fitting that the title of this album is so far gone. It mm-hmm. spans mm-hmm. a wide wide range. Um, he has like popular tunes from previous albums remixed, um, like his 2009 single "Best I Ever Had." Um, mm-hmm. He has a track with Bjorn dude and it's yeah and it's poppy like i was playing it the other day and my girlfriend got in my car and she was like what is this and i was like this is drake she was like what the fuck mm-hmm. i was like girl <laughs> you're telling me um and she uh drake even has a uh a track called say what's real that's mixed mm-hmm. using the same track as say you will by our very own kanye west on his album 808s and heartbreak um, so cool. I mean, he mentions Ye on the track. He is talking about how he finally got the right, like, uh, you know, Ye said that he could sample. 
um, mm-hmm. say you will. And he talks about how his friends basically were like, it's some yay shit, so, like, you better not fuck up. Um, <laughs> which I think is awesome. Um, he thanked him, like, you know, over Twitter, I'm pretty sure, um, mm-hmm. and said that he was mm-hmm. super excited to release it. Um, there are tons of tracks on the album that seem very poppy, as he always seems to mention that it's his style to pair with artists old and new to create what he believes to be the best and brightest of, like, cutting-edge music. It's really good. Yeah. If you're not usually a fan of rap or Drake, I'd recommend giving him a listen on this album, because I think you'll get a great sampling of a bunch of different styles. It's hmm. it's definitely weird. Um, it, it kind of falls in line with some of his... Um, earlier albums and also just like diverges completely so i'm wondering Mm -hmm. if he just feels like he's in a place where he can really start doing his own thing or if he's Mm -hmm. in a place where he's like i don't know this is what people are telling me to do i don't need to worry about it but um i'm interested to see what the future of his albums are it's a great album i I can't wait to hear what you have to say maybe next time when we get into kanye's corner um I mean, Say What's Real is like a direct ripoff of Say You Will. I I listened to I listened to a little. Oh, bit did of you? It and yeah, and I mean, I I like I like his flow, mm-hmm. um, like just in general, Drake's yeah. flow. Um, and but I'm I've never been like a real. I'm never. I would never say like I'm a real big Drake fan. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. like. I just, like, it just, for me, it, he just doesn't click. You know, his first album, I thought that was hot. He had a lot of great singles on mm-hmm. that one. Um, you know, and then, like, subsequently, you know, I'll, I'll he'll pop up on my radar every now and again, um, you know, as far as, like, who I'm listening to. But I feel like, you know, to me, in these past years, there hasn't really been anything, like, that's made Drake special mm. to me. You know, like, compared to other artists, like, I'm like, I'm sitting here, I'm listening to Lupe, right? Mm -hmm. I'm listening to Kendrick. Mm -hmm. I'm listening to Kanye. I'm listening to, I'm listening to old school, I'm listening to old school 90s hip hop. And I'm like, you are not, you're you're not giving me anything different than what's played on the radio, Drake. Come on. Like, if you want me to listen to you, come up with something new. So when you just said that you're like, like, it feels different it feels like he's taking some risk with his sound and what he's what he's trying to do with his music and his lyricism that makes me excited i'm like you know what i will give him a shot now just because i i want to see like i would like to be a drake fan you know i would like to be a wheelchair jimmy fan (laughs) but i gotta hear something i gotta hear something different okay well which complete complete missed opportunity by not having an alter ego named Wheelchair Jimmy who's rapping about the grass. <laughs> <laughs> complete missed opportunity. But maybe it'll come. Is what I'm saying. Like, I, I, and I think I think you're right. Like, I think I listen to Drake mostly when I'm I'm looking for for like comfort. There's something comforting okay. in his um, like the continuation of what he always seems to talk about. You know. Um, mm-hmm. and I, I think that there are some, sp- like my, my fascination with Drake definitely began in the beginning with thank me later and take care. Um, mm. and you know, some of his, a lot of his recent work, like in views and in Scorpion has been a lot, uh, a lot about like, since take care, I've been caretaking, right? Like I've been looking out for everybody else and now I'm just going to look out for me. Um, mm. and you know, 
like his single that he released, I think in 2017, maybe, maybe it was last year in 2018, Diplomatic Immunity. I would definitely check out that track if you haven't. It was like, mm-hmm. just, it's like seven minutes of freestyle, essentially, of him being like, you have no idea, like, what I'm capable of. Um, mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. I'm above the rest. Um, yeah. <laughs> and So Far Gone came out, and I was like, wait, what? And it honestly felt like Life of Pablo to me, um, to, hmm. to bring it back to Yeezy. Like, Life of Pablo, I think people really loved or really hated. And I think mm-hmm. for me, I was like, I love Ye, like, rapping. You know, like, the, I love his verses. And he doesn't have as much of that in um, Life of Pablo. And I feel like this is a little bit in So Far Gone. He's got some some songs that Drake really steps into, right? Like Say What's Real, he raps the entire time. His flow is hot. Um, the beat mm-hmm. is obvious. The mix is sick. It's Kanye. He didn't change it at all. Um, right. And it... Which is what I, I appreciated. Like, you know, you know, it's... Kanye spends so much time just perfecting his beats and for you to use it and then to not change it, that's, that speaks a lot about the the amount of respect. It's still um, fucking good. Ten years later. Yeah. Like, it's still hot. Mm-hmm. And I literally, my um, my girlfriend was, like, I was listening. I put in a, 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 an earbud, and I was, like, listening mm-hmm. to this album, right? And uh, yeah. I was like, what? No way. And she was like, what? And I was like, okay, listen to this song. And I played Say You Will. And then I just uh-huh. loaded up on Spotify, say what's real, and switched over. And, yeah. like, you know, the beat continues, essentially. And she was like, I don't understand. And I was like, they're different songs. And she was like, what? I'm so surprised <laughs> that, like, you heard that. Like, that, t- that dedication to Kanye's sound. You know exactly what mm-hmm. to listen for. And I was like, it's it's still good. And you're right. It does <laughs> say something. It definitely does. Um, uh-huh. So I'm really uh-huh. eager to see what Drake comes into after this album um because this album's weird it's all over the place and i love that um Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah so i i think that's i feel like we just sped through everything we needed to talk about but there there was a lot to get through (laughs) there was there there really was um you know there was so much but i feel good i feel like we did it we did it it will be done (laughs) that that's a good that's a good um out rap album title it will be done it will be done that's my my first one that's one of my (laughs) that's my freshman album (laughs) it will be done produced by mitchell produced by (laughs) it will be done it will be done um that's also like that's just a good title in general i think that could be a good movie in theaters right? soon, it will be done. It will be done. <laughs> it's up for an Oscar. It's up for... Tonight. <laughs> tonight. 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 I can't believe the Oscars are tonight. Guys, if you are excited, Marcus, are you going to be live tweeting? I I do believe I'm going to live tweet it. I, I usually play a drinking game. Um, so I'll post the rules. They're the same rules that happen every every year. Um, but I have to make my final picks. It's always hard with the obscure mm-hmm. ones, you mm-hmm. know? And it's, so it's like, I kind of like just, you know, maybe it'll be this person. And sometimes I'll get it and I'll, I'll still drink. Um, <laughs> and some, and sometimes I won't and I'll still drink. Attaboy. So it'll be, it'll be a good time for all. Well, yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Gonna have a little steak and put that up on live tweet. Put that up on all the, uh, the not so famous, uh, you know, social media things so we can join in. I will. Uh, in your debauchery and fun. 
Um, and friends and <laughs> listeners, if you uh, haven't checked it out yet, the uh, the second annual Butter Bowl on Popcorn Prattle last week. It's a great episode filled with fun, laughs, um, intense debates per usual. Um, <laughs> come get belligerent on Popcorn Prattle. Um, we, that's the best way to put it. It, it really is. But I, <laughs> get belligerent. But I love it. Like that's what you know. Movies are all about, and that's what Oscars are all about. Like I can't believe this mm. one over this. This year is especially. There's a lot of great movies up for Oscars. I can't wait to see how it shakes out, and I'm sure that we will discuss it um, in the future, both on uh, Popcorn Prattle and on Not So Famous. So, Absolutely. so stay tuned. Um, all right, and moving on in our next segment, I'm actually not in uh, for the first time in eight episodes. I am not in inside the Everyday Artist Studio. Um, yeah. It hurts, but it also feels good because finally you'll get to ask a question or two, Marcus. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I, I was a little, I, I have to admit, like it was, I, I even say on the segment, I was like, this is a little strange because I'm not, because I'm, I'm usually, I'm usually the guy that's like, yeah. Yeah, so this time, and like you know, if I and if I do an interview on Popcorn Prattle, you know, it's about a movie. Um, so this was this was a little this was a little shift, but um, but our guest tonight, uh, she was she's great. She's absolutely wonderful. Uh, I definitely you know love and support everything that she is doing. I don't want to give too much away, um, but definitely definitely, guys, you are in for the time of your life in just a moment yeah it's gonna be great and i can't wait to listen to it um so since i'm not in the interview i just want to drop you know my where you can find me right now um so the you know you don't have to i don't have to put it in at the end you can hear it all right now um you can find me uh on instagram at lay modern gentlemen um on twitter as at the original mdh and you can find um us on instagram and twitter at not so famous pod one and of course on facebook at not so famous go ahead give us a like uh if you liked anything in the episode if you hated anything in the episode let us know um we always love to hear from you i i've noticed that uh you know i've been trying to post monday through friday and then like a weekend post um with specific hashtags so if you like those guys um you know keep commenting keep liking it's such a blast i love when i get a notification that says somebody's <laughs> commenting on your batman post i'm like oh what are they saying about ben affleck um it gets me Everything. it gets me excited you know and I, I love to pass on the good vibes with our motivation monday and and flashback fridays to our previous episodes and stuff like that so stay tuned we'll be right back with inside the everyday artist studio with courtney mcinary Made a movie this bad. I mean, I know said that this was okay. Look at the attitude. Come get belligerent on Popcorn Prattle Film Talk Podcast. You can find us on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and Podbean. You'll be glad you did. This week on Inside the Everyday Artist Studio. We are joined by Courtney McInerney. Courtney McInerney is an applied theater practitioner and community-based artist who believes in strong coffee and stronger communities. Her practice centers on facilitating 
agentive and asset-based artistic processes with and for communities, and her research focuses on grassroots practices in institutional settings. Courtney is the Artistic Director and Program Manager of UVA Acts, an educational theater program promoting equitable, vibrant spaces for working and learning at the University of Virginia. As a community-based artist, Courtney has collaborated with community members as artists in a variety of contexts, including adults gaining literacy, young people in detention facilities, educators in public schools, families experiencing housing insecurity, and community advocates who were formerly incarcerated. She worked for three years with peer educators in the Voices Against Violence Theater for Dialogue program, a nationally recognized sexual violence prevention program at the University of Texas at Austin. Her writing on community-engaged practices can be seen in publications such as Research and Drama Education, the Journal of Applied Theater and Performance, the HowlRound blog, TYA Today, Theater Topics, and Youth Theater Journal. Prior to joining the UVA community in 2018, Courtney was the Director of Community Engagement at Milwaukee Repertory Theater, where she produced the first National Conference for Community Engagement Practitioners in American Regional Theaters. In Greenville, South Carolina, she co-founded Front Porch Arts Collective, a two-year initiative that hired over 50 local multidisciplinary artists and commissioned over 20 new works centered on the multifaceted stories of the South. As an instructor, she has taught and learned from emerging community-based artists in courses at the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee and UT Austin. Courtney received her BA from Furman University and her MFA in Drama and Theater for Youth and Communities from UT Austin. Courtney, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. You have done a lot, girl. <laughs> it's so wonderful to hear you read it. I'm like, oh my word, that sounds I, great. I, when you sent, well, when you sent that to me, you were like, you're like, you don't have to read it all. I, I was like reading through it, and I was like, okay, I'll see, I'll see if there's something that I want to, uh, to kind of leave off. Um, but no, I was like, I was like, no, girl, you know, toot your own horn. That, that is awesome. <laughs> no, you make it sound very exciting, but it's just uh, <laughs> the outcomes of moving many times. <laughs> I mean, but that's, I mean, but that's, that's all right, though. That's all right. It's, it's great to see um, you working in, in this wonderful community. And, um, and one of the things that I've noticed, and it's going to be one of my questions tonight, is one of the things I've noticed that you, uh, you're very big on, on creating communities uh, in these different locations. Yeah. Um, so, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, no, you go ahead. Oh, I was just going to ask, so what exactly got you started on that journey? That's such a great question, um, and I love talking about it. When I grew up, I grew up in Florida, in South Florida, and um, it's a really, we we grew up in kind of a, a very stereotypical you know, suburb, and um, I actually spent all of my time at the theater building with my mom, who's a theater professor, um, at her rehearsals, and so actually the last week we were in Florida, my brother and I were mm -hmm. walking our dog and we ran into this kid who was about our age and we like started talking to him and like we kind of all hit it off and uh, he was like, oh, did you just move to the neighborhood? And my, my brother and I were like, no, we've lived here for 11 years. And he was like, no way, I've never seen you before. I've lived here for nine years. And I think there was this, this realization that 
you know, here was a person who was in our geographic community who we never mm-hmm. interacted with. And then I moved yeah. to the South that, that, uh, is so complicated, but, um, really does have a sense of, of a neighborliness in a different way. And, um, mm. I was really, uh, awestruck by that and learned a lot by, from that. And so, yeah. um, I think, uh, the, the learning for myself, my own need for and craving for community, and then recognizing that while what community looks like is different for every person and for every culture and, and every group, um, there's mm-hmm. nothing more beautiful than creating a space that nourishes that. Um, mm. So I would say I rarely am actually creating community. What I'm often doing is just trying to build the space that's needed for everyone who wants to jump on in to jump on in. You know what I mean? Yeah. 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 Oh, absolutely. Yeah. That is, that's something that um, I feel like, especially in this day and age, um, I feel like a lot of artists are searching for. I feel like that was one of the reasons why, you know, Mitchell wanted to start the show was to try and cultivate a community of artists who, you know, felt the same way. They they knew they wanted to do something creative um, and just didn't quite know where to look. Um, so I think that that's awesome that you, that you kind of took that upon yourself to make that community. So here's my, here's my next question. How hard is it to make that community? (laughs) Oh, wow. Um, cause I know it can't, it can't be, it can't be easy. Cause I mean, I've, I've been working for, uh, you know, shoot. I've been teaching for seven years, so probably about six, five or six years now um, to kind of create this, uh, this kind of podcast community. Um, and, it, and it didn't happen for me until, you know, year six. Uh, but for you, it just seems to like, ah, oh, community, right there. <laughs> oh, gosh, that's not true. <laughs> I don't want it, to. It takes so much work. Um, yeah, as you know, it takes, it takes so much work. I think, um, for myself as an artist and for Mm. myself as a person who needs community, I mean, we were just talking, um, earlier that I've just moved to to Virginia and it's still really isolating because I don't know that many people. I mean, Mm -hmm. the number one thing that I've learned is that relationships are built when vulnerability is present and, I think what makes building authentic community so difficult is that we have to be willing to be vulnerable and um, that takes so much boldness and it takes yeah. a lot of trust that might that might have no reason to be there. Um, and so I think when I'm you know meeting other artists or just meeting neighbors or, or people who I might um, over time become friends with, one of the things that I am, constantly negotiating within myself is like um what does it look like for me to uh hold space for both myself and for this other person and that we can both share vulnerability with one another um Hmm. at the level we want to (laughs) um and so i think uh i really i am very humbled when someone else 
is vulnerable with me, whether that be because they're sharing something personal that's happened with them or they're sharing mm -hmm. leadership on a really exciting project or they're telling me about their dreams or they are, um, you know, just letting me observe them in struggle. Like if they invite me into a rehearsal room or something to give feedback, I, I am so humbled by that because I know the boldness mm -hmm. it takes and I know the trust that it takes. Um, so I think what I try to put back out there is a real respect for, for that. And um, I think that's one of the things that has allowed me to develop really meaningful relationships um, with other artists and other community leaders is, 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 mm -hmm. uh, is that sort of mutual respect and also that mutual openness um, and willingness to yeah. get hurt. I mean, that's what it, it's weird, but it, that's exactly what it takes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, we've talked about um, on the show in the past, and, and if Mitchell was here, he would say the same thing. Um, we've talked about, you know, that vulnerability that we have to have as artists. Um, you know, every time we every time we go out on stage or we, you know, we produce something or we write something, we, we are inviting others to essentially judge us to a certain degree. Um, and, you know, we just kind of hope that it's well received, that if it's, if we are criticized, that it won't be, you know, malicious, um, but that it will help us grow. And I feel like, um, as, and as a teacher, getting somebody to that point, right, getting them to the point of, I feel comfortable enough, uh, you know, telling you my hardship, telling you my story. Um, I think that that is, that's one of the hardest things that anyone can do. And if you, if you are, you know, perfecting that craft, I mean, I tip my hat to you really, because that's, that is, it is hard. Um, now you, and you in particular, you work with, um, you don't work with, you know, ninth through 12th graders like I do um you're working with like adults or college age students yeah and or, and also, college, sorry, and also young people so um actually mm. before my graduate studies I was mostly in k-12 through spaces and then my thesis research and the paper that like please let me finish and get through it that I'm working on right now is looking at youth <laughs> agencies so with high schoolers um, what I was we'll gonna, send we'll send this podcast out to them. Yeah. <laughs> what I was gonna say um, to that to that point is actually like so many of the folks that I've worked with, either because of their age or their documentation status or you know mm -hmm. education or whatever. Um, so many of the folks that I've worked with as artists are performing in that vulnerable space for the first time in front of an audience that is often complicit in systems that marginalize them. And that increases the vulnerability needed to be an artist even more. Um, mm. And, and that, <laughs> that is incredible to watch. And that is not something that, um, that I could ever take credit for. I think what is, what I am consistently in awe of is the bravery of people I've worked with, um, and people I've learned from getting on stage and sharing their story to a group of people that may absolutely not care about what they have to say. Um, mm -hmm. and, and for them to know that the story that they're sharing is, um, is deeply, deeply important to them. Um, and, and often, you know, telling stories of harm that's been done to them either by people or by systems. And so, um, yeah, I think I, 
like there are so many different grade grades of vulnerability, like levels of vulnerability. Um, oh, sure. And I, and I, what's been amazing to me in my work and from the people that I've been able to work with is, is watching folks who have no reason to trust anyone push themselves mm. past that point. Like I learned so much mm. from that. Yeah. Yeah. You mentioned, um, that you, that you, um, have worked with marginalized groups. Is that kind of like your, uh, kind of primary focus when you, when you do these different projects, um, with, you know, working with groups that maybe their voices aren't quite as heard as much? Yeah, that's a great question. So I would say like applied theater in the U.S. is a pretty new field of practice and a mm-hmm. lot of spaces where it's been implemented, actually just in the world, it's a pretty, it's like a, less than a hundred years old. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of the spaces where it's being practiced um, are with folks who are experiencing oppression in some way. Um, mm-hmm. and for, I think probably the most common form, commonly known form of applied theater is theater of the oppressed. So a lot of folks might be aware of that. What I'm moving into myself, um, and so, yes, yeah, so a lot of my training was in those spaces and a lot of like where I've sort of honed my practice and gotten my early jobs, you know, is in those spaces. And now at UVA, it's actually flipping the script a little bit because, what I'm doing is having conversations with people who might be perpetuating oppression, mm. whether intentionally or not, about how to no longer do that. <laughs> um, <laughs> which for me is like actually a much more. Um, uh, it's it's where I it's where I personally want to dive into um, mm. is mm-hmm. how can we start to change some of the culture that might be protecting some of these systems of oppression. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. while centering the experiences of people who are most marginalized and, and holding those at, at our core and listening to the voices and, and, and desires of those, of those communities and those people. But, but having the conversation actually with the people who, who, whose behavior might need to change. Right. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. and, and so I, it's actually a, a conversation internationally right now is, is what happens if we change from doing theater with people who are in prison to doing theater with people who are putting people in prison, right? What happens right. if we're, if we're changing this conversation from doing theater with survivors of sexual assault to doing theater with people who are at risk of, um, of, of being perpetrators themselves. And, and I say all that, those are groups that I have worked with is, is mm-hmm. people who have been the, the survivors of, of this oppression, but I'm interested in the other side of that story um, increasingly so. And kind yeah. of focusing my practice there. Have you gotten a chance to kind of begin those steps? Or are you still like in like almost like the planning uh, stages of getting to that point? It's so we're it's so exciting. Um, <laughs> we are in we're like on the tip of starting to be in the rehearsal room. So we're hiring okay. actors okay. next week, and I've started. You know, we had a snow day today, so I was working on a script. Um, mm-hmm. So we've started writing the pieces for sure. So we're definitely in the planning stage, but it feels like we are moving into a place. So we'll start having conversations with real live faculty audiences this summer. And that's um, really exciting for me. 
that is that's incredible. I um actually got a chance to to work with this man. Um, I don't know if you 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 may have heard of him. Uh, his name is Derek Brown. You know him. Any chance? Oh, that name sounds familiar. Derek Brown, um, he's this English playwright um, who has he's worked with uh, the, with the company that I work with in Fredericksburg a lot, and he does a lot of theater like that where he is doing um, like almost like improvised um, awareness theater. Um, really? Yeah, yeah. We did uh, these. So what he does is he goes to different. Um, different groups so the first show he did he went to um this uh, uh woman's shelter uh, called him powerhouse and he interviewed some of the women who were abused by their husbands and then he used those stories uh to create a series of monologues uh and then had the had the actresses uh come in and then they learned those monologues and then you know present them to the to the audience but it was the idea of all the all the things you were hearing; those were actual stories from people. Um, you know, he did one about AIDS awareness. Uh, he recently did one about human trafficking. Um, so when you so when you mention when you mention this, um, it just and and, and maybe you because this is to me. Derek was the only one kind of championing that kind of theater. Um, but yeah. then let me ask you this. Is there like a community of, of artists that are, are trying to do this, that are, are working to make this more of like a, a big deal? Yeah, there are. Um, I know I want to meet this person. Um, <laughs> I'll give you contact for me. I mean, you know, going to college in South Carolina, I didn't have access to anyone who was doing this work. Mm. I was like, I, I still remember grabbing a bunch of books off the bookshelf in the library and being awestruck and sitting directly on the floor and just sitting there and reading them for a couple of hours because I was so excited. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but I didn't know that this was a thing. And it's definitely more popular in, I mean, if we're just talking about which most of my understandings of applied theater as a community and as a field is, is more of a Western lens, but it's definitely more popular in the UK and um, in South Africa and mm. in Australia and New Zealand, um, where there are really people in every city doing this, and that's because they have federal funding. <laughs> um, but in the US, it's been growing since the 90s pretty um, quickly, and the field is I mean, the, a position like mine is so rare. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's a really interesting. And then there are grassroots artists, and this is what I'm really passionate about as mm. well, who have been doing this work. I mean, sounds like your your friend Derek have been doing this work for years with with no real job security around it. They're doing it on their own. They're doing it. They're just making it happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and now institutions are like, oh, this seems interesting and effective and might, it might be something worth investing money and time into. So I'm also interested in what happens when these sort of grassroots fringe practices are being brought into the mainstream. Mm -hmm. But, um, yeah, there are lots of people, there's lots of different mediums and forms. So I've definitely done the kind of work you were describing, um, which, which might be called documentary theater. I've also worked with folks who are like, performing their own stories and then here at UVA mm-hmm. um, and also with my work at, at UT Austin around sexual violence prevention what we're doing is presenting fictionalized stories that are connected to real world experiences but they are 
They can be um, interrupted by either moments of dialogue with the audience or with audience actually giving advice to characters or stepping on stage and taking over or saying, you know, can we go back and look at what happened here and what were the power dynamics here? And the, the actors will go back and replay that moment. Oh, my gosh. About oh my different gosh. ways to think about it. Yeah. So it's really focused on um, helping people to analyze moments of, you know, um, bias in a search process yeah. or um, exclusion in a classroom outside of when they're actually living in that in their own bodies. Mm -hmm. They can take a break. They can take a moment and look at it um, off of their own, outside of their own identities, outside of their own experiences, um, and then hopefully be equipped to go back into their, you know, their lives and their practices and, and maybe make some better better choices, maybe make some more preventative decisions so that they're not, um, yeah, uh, uh, reinforcing um, problematic practices or, or, or systems. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Got you. So, yeah, there are, there's a, there's a lot of us. I mean, no, that's not true. There's maybe like a couple hundred of us, okay. but we're here. <laughs> it's not like, it's not like you it's and, not like it's not just you and Derek. Just you. No. <laughs> okay. Okay. Maybe in Virginia. No, I'm just kidding. Even <laughs> since I've moved here, I've it's been amazing. Like there have been like three different people who have been introduced to me who are applied theater practitioners, mm. and um, in in Charlottesville, which is a town of forty thousand, and they have training. They're like really awesome artists, yeah. and yeah. so I do think it's a field that's growing. And what I'm interested to see is how does that change as there starts to be more money available mm. for people who have this training. Um, I hope that we can figure out how to negotiate the like sort of activist heart of this work and the very resistant and, um, and uh, um, change-making heart of this work, right. even when it's being sponsored by large organizations like UVA. Mm -hmm, <laughs> mm -hmm. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So, so and, and, and I was going through my questions. I was like, I was like, oh, well, we've, we've already gone through some of these. I just word them very poorly. Um, like I said, Mitchell usually takes care of this, but I've had, but I've had fun, uh, driving, driving the plane. Um, so I think you're doing great. Well, thank you. Um, this is, this is much different than my, um, than my movie podcast where, where I'm just, you know, arguing about the latest Marvel uh, fan theories. Uh, it's like, no, this is this is hard journalism right here. Um, serious, serious stuff. Um, For real serious. Right. Um, so I guess my my last question then that I, I have on my on my list of questions. Um, so you've taken on a lot of leadership roles, it seems. Um, or have you taken point on these? And and this is and this is a question that me personally, I would love to have answered because I've been trying to, um, I've been trying to do stuff like this. Um, not not necessarily um, applied theater, um, but just kind of creating a community um, of artists with one singular goal. Um, so. So I guess I guess my question would be because uh, you've already mentioned that it is it is difficult to start these to start these communities, especially with people being vulnerable and people being open. Um, what kind of draws you to that? Because 
this that the leadership role um, when it comes to this field is incredibly hard and it takes a lot a lot of time and skill and effort um what draws you to that you know as opposed to as opposed to just finding somebody who's doing applied theater and saying like i want to i want to i want to act for you i want to do this i want to put it on stage for you instead of being like the person behind the scenes as far as being like all right this should go here and we should grab these people and we should talk about this subject and hey let me write the script up today and and or and just get everything ready to present to the world um which again is like the heart one of the hardest jobs in the world i i feel um what draws you to that what draws you to that Yeah, this is such a good question because I think of myself as someone who is not drawn to leadership, Mm. Um, but I often end up in leadership roles. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I think part of that is because of my parents. Mm. Um, They are incredible leaders. Um, You know, my mom, and she's, she's pretty awesome, and my dad also is has really modeled that for me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and so I think some of it was almost like taught to me at a really young age mm. and just like principles of, of good leadership. And and I would say both of my parents function very much so with a, in a servant leadership model where their, their method of leadership is to lift up or amplify the voices of people around them. Mm. And um, so I would say as an artist, like that is, um, that's sort of how I've ended up a lot of times in the spaces where I'm in is actually just being the person who's like, do you know this person? And have you heard about this person's work? And this person's so interesting, the two of you should meet. Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes I'm not even a part of, often I'm not even part of that equation, mm. but I think what that does is it, it communicates to people like, I want to support your work Mm. and and that's genuine like that's i (laughs) i'm never pretending like i i love supporting artists Mm -hmm. it's like the best gift ever is to to be able to see people's work expressed in a way that that feels true to them and so oh i'm like having the i'm talking my way all around this question because it's really hard i mean i think on the other side of things like Mm. i'm very impatient Mm -hmm. i'm very like uh, i'm a problem solver i am very um as much as i love community i really like fixing things on my own i can be really individual in that way Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and so i think i also have this super stubborn personality that's like I don't have time to wait for someone else to fix this problem that I see right I'm just gonna dig in there and get it done Mm. and I love like building new structures and thinking about new ideas and actually where I struggle is oftentimes um, and you can tell this by how many different projects I've worked on is like (laughs) moving things into decades-long sustainability right Mm. which is kind of what I'm trying to push myself into in this new role is how do we make sure this program is at UVA until this culture issue is solved, Mm -hmm. right? Like for the, for generations to come. Um, So I think everyone kind of leads in different, in different ways. My personality and my 
tendencies, I guess, have always pulled me towards the type of leadership that you can put on a resume. But I fully believe that like everyone is, is leading in their spaces, whether that's because they are doing a really good job sending out a bulk mailing, which is honestly like the hardest thing ever. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> or if it's because they're doing a really good job, you know, leading a group of high school actors to a states competition. Um, Thank you for that. I do believe everyone is a leader and, and in, in the way that they want, if they, if they, if they are given the space to do that. And mm-hmm. so I guess what is interesting to me, what does pull me towards leadership is, is the desire to give everyone the space to lead in the way that they want to lead. Mm. Um, yeah, that, took forever to get to that last point but that's what's interesting to me about leadership there are so many people whose voices aren't being heard yeah. whose work's not being appreciated who don't have the agency to make the kind of change they want to make mm-hmm. and because of my privileges because of my because of the way that i'm often invited into leadership roles i actually have some space to be able to make room for that and so i guess i i do run towards it mm-hmm. in, in recognizing that, that that's a possibility yeah yeah i mean Personally, I did not think I didn't think you were you were dancing around the question. I I to me it it honestly felt you. It was nice to see you like work through it and kind of figure out how to get to that point. And then I just again I just love that. Um, I love kind of like the theme of this whole entire conversation, which is you know that community wasn't there, but there was a need for it. And you, yeah. and you saw it upon yourself as, as far as saying like, well, if no one else is going to, to do it, no one else is going to create it or get the ball rolling, I'll get the ball rolling and you guys can follow in line. Um, you know, with, you know, not, not, not quite a snarky, um, <laughs> but, but it's, but it's true. I mean, it was, I mean, you, you just have like these, you know, you just really showing like all these great leadership qualities. Um, and it's, and I mean, again, just again, looking at your, looking at your bio, um, it's paying off. It really is. And I, and I love the idea of you, you're taking that challenge now for yourself of saying, I want to now it's, I'm, I want to go beyond just creating a community. I want to create a community that I know has legs to go on for, you know, X amount of years. Which I think, which I think is great, you know, and it's, and again, it's something that me personally, I've spent the past couple of years trying to learn. So I'm just going to be, you know, coming down to Charlottesville and and with a bottle of wine and being like, Courtney, teach me your ways because I, because I'm struggling up here. I get to drink wine with people. (laughs) Yeah. I, the, the one, so I like, <laughs> I was interviewed for American Theater Magazine around this conference that um, I planned. And oh, it's wow. hilarious because if you, that sounds like, but, so this was like my one chance to sound really smart in front of the whole field. <laughs> the, the, the one line that they include from this like 30 to 45 minute interview they had with me okay. is me saying, it's just like making friends. 
um, when talking about community engagement. And it honestly makes me sound like an eighth grader. And I like cringe every time I see it because it comes up if you Google search me and I like am trying to figure out how to get it to go well. But, um, you know, all of our listeners are Google searching me right now <laughs> to see if that's, <laughs> to see if that's the top so hit. But it's so true. Like I think, and I think that's what's been stunning to me as an artist, as a practitioner, as a leader is like the things that I believe are necessary for true and authentic and deep relationships and friendships, Mm -hmm. um, vulnerability, maintenance, um, uh, a willingness to ask for help and a willingness to drop everything to give help. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, uh, a a recognition that sometimes we make wrong assumptions (laughs) um all these things like that are are sort of relational practices that can come pretty easily if we have good and healthy relationships in our lives Mm -hmm. if those are translated to the workplace and to our art making and to networking and to um you know change making then it's not perfect there's not a it's not a perfect translation Mm -hmm. but i do think what that does is it brings some authenticity to the to the table in those spaces and i i really believe that people respond to that um and 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 so i guess my my constant like my the thing that i'm trying to say when i told american theater magazine it's just like making friends is like it's not it doesn't have to be hard and it doesn't have to be someone other than who you are like the things that you do in your life that you value in your life with your friends mm-hmm. with your important relationships in your life they actually can translate into those spaces and it does take so much time that's mm. the hard part is believing that like all the effort and all the work you're saying that you're doing into into cultivating community like yeah it makes sense it's it's real hard it takes a real long time it's not <laughs> um but i believe just from like knowing who you are that it's probably going to create a really beautiful and sustainable and um uh important you know community of people um so i think my constant encouragement is just like as my dad would say floss your teeth and be yourself (laughs) and and, and like don't give up know that it it does take time yeah i love that that's that is that is the perfect way to end this end the segment (laughs) floss your teeth and be yourself i love it that's right mitchell comes back um i'm gonna tell him because we uh like i said we'll We'll record the earlier segment on Friday. I'm going to tell him that that might need to be the the title of this episode. He probably he probably won't go for it, but at the very least, it needs to be on a shirt. <laughs> but it, but I have to feel it is my like mantra. <laughs> but I feel like it needs to be it needs to be on a shirt. But it but you know we'll we'll pay your dad, but we need to have your dad's face on it. <laughs> he's, he's just pointing at he's just pointing at you. I don't know. <laughs> I love it. Courtney, thank you so much for being on the show. This was awesome. This was awesome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I will hopefully, I'm knocking on wood, hopefully see you uh, next week um, when we are hopefully winning states. Hey. Um, With our own little theater community of youngsters. Um, yeah, um, but hopefully I'll get to see you, if not next week, at least very soon. Um, audience, I hope you guys have enjoyed your time with Courtney. Um, 
Courtney, if, is there uh, anything that you would like to promote for yourself? Um, I know that you mentioned that you you had auditions. I don't know. I don't know if we have any Charlottesville yeah. listeners, but maybe they might know. Maybe one of our listeners knows somebody in Charlottesville. If you want to be like, hey, come to audition. If you know somebody, go to tinyurl.com slash UVA ACTS, A-C-T-S, auditions. And you'll find all the info there. If you're interested in following our work, um, we're on Instagram and Twitter, but like very lightly because we just opened up these <laughs> social media accounts. But we're on Instagram and Twitter at UVA Axe. And if you want to get in touch with me, you can email me at UVA Axe, again, UVA A-C-T-S at virginia.edu. And of course, folks, you know that you can always reach me uh, on Popcorn Prattle. You can listen to me on our newest podcast, Roll Initiative, uh, a D&D centric podcast. Uh, you guys know that you can also hear me on Continuum Force. It is on episode three right now. If you have not checked it out, what is wrong with you? Go there and check it out right now. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter. Instagram, but if you follow me on Instagram, it's just going to be pictures of me at the gym with my nerd shirt, so do it, do with it as you please. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, guys, like I said, um, I will see you guys next time on the podcast, and again, Courtney, thank you so much for coming out. Thank you so much. We'll talk soon with wine. <laughs>